New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street book club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and we'll never give it up. <laughs> Literature is for the masses. Where to put your money down the how to watch your assets. Yeah, uplifting others is a passion. My brother Evan, he will turn it into action. New Black Wall Street Book Club. You should come read with come us. Read with us. Yeah, we comprehend and discuss. Yeah. If we all just come together, there's no limit for there's us. No limit for us. <laughs> Here comes your host, New Black Wall Street. Evan, take it away. New Black Wall Street Book Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best selling author of the book. The Black Billionaires Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.theblackbillionairesclub.com www.theblackbillionairesclub.com You'll find that link in the description above or below. time for our daily motivation for african-american success that's right daily motivations for african-american success by mr dennis p kimbrough this is a great book that you guys might want to pick up for the new year daily motivation for african-american success anytime you see this black author's name who was a phenomenal black author one of the best black authors of our time by mr dennis p kimbrough go ahead and pick up his book you will be you will thank me later okay today's episode or uh, today's title is thankful for little Thankful for little. Everybody put in the comments below, hashtag grateful. Being thankful for the little. And here's our quote today. It comes from a Jewel Diamond Taylor, who is a motivational speaker. And she says this, and I quote, He enjoys much who is thankful for little. He enjoys much who is thankful for little. Now, here's what I found in life, beautiful people, that it's the smaller things in life that make the biggest difference. And are you thankful for those small things, those things that we may overlook, those things that we may take for granted? Are you thankful for those things? While you might be desiring more, do you appreciate what you do have? Great question to ask this morning as we move into our weekend where you know weekends are made to get rich. And here's our uh, passage of the day. Let's see what this motivation is all about this morning. Let's get it. After entering a, a department store, a woman was startled when a band began to play. A camera started flashing and a dignified executive pinned <coughs> an orchard on her dress and handed her 10 crisp thousand dollar bills. She was the store's millionth customer and the owner and staff celebrated the occasion. Television cameras were focused on her. Reporters began firing questions. Tell me, reporter shouted, just what did you come to the store for today? The woman, somewhat miffed, hesitated for a minute, then grumbled, I'm on my way to the complaint department. The woman revealed how she had purchased a scarf from the same store the previous day, but got upset when the clerk failed to hand her a receipt. This poor soul is an example of one of life's real tragedies. She fails to place circumstances within their proper perspective. Reflect for a moment. Ours is a history synonymous with burden. 
as slaves and later as domestics and servants. We gathered, picked, chopped, planted, plowed, cooked, fetched, cleaned, bathed, built, dug, nursed, and sweat so that others could enjoy creature comforts that we could only imagine. Uh, today's world, by comparison, is one of opportunity, one that our forebears could only envision. Our world should be one of gratitude. Gratitude is prayer. Gratitude is strength. Gratitude is love. The best way to show our gratitude is to accept life with joy. The best way to show our gratitude is to accept life with joy. My beautiful people, are you accepting life with joy? Are you happy to be here? I mean, many didn't have that opportunity this morning, but you do. Do you appreciate that opportunity? Just to simply still be here. And here's our quarter today. Here's what you want to allow to take root into your subconscious, your heart, and then you can grow and develop this thing by repeating it over and over and over again until it brings forth a harvest into your life. See, the power of life and death is in the tongue, and this morning we use our tongue to speak life into our life so that we can have a greater life. Our affirmation of the day, repeat after me. Today, I will approach life with a grateful heart. Our affirmation today, let's do it again. Repeat after me. Today, I will approach life with a grateful heart. Man, just letting that sit for a moment. Our affirmation today, we'll do it one more time. As I said, you repeat it over and over and over again. Use your tongue to speak life into your life. This time, we're going to do it for the people in the back, the people in the way back, to make sure that they know that we mean business this morning. Repeat after me, and this time, say it with some conviction, like you really mean it. Repeat after me. Today, I will approach life with a grateful heart. Affirmation of the day. Now, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking of some things. And one of the things that came to me is, is how we uh how we how we how often we appreciate things once they are gone. How we appreciate that family member or that person that was kind of in our life more when they're gone will show up to their funeral when we never showed up in their life. How we appreciate uh, those who, I don't know, our relationships or uh, those who uh, had small little impacts in our life, but then they disappeared or they moved away or whatever the case may be. How we typically appreciate things more when they're gone. And it says something like this, the, the absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. See, if we wake up every day and we 
uh, have a, a with a grateful heart, and we just appreciate everything and everybody that God has put into our life, understanding that all things work together for my good. I believe if that's the approach that we take, then we'll be even more grateful for life itself. Today, let us approach life with a grateful heart, uh, thankful for the little. The Daily Motivations for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Daily Motivations for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. A quick word from our sponsor. Don't just buy black, decorate black. ERGJ Black Bazaar is the Afrocentric marketplace, and we specialize in urban home decor. Anything from shower sets to wall tapestries to duvet cover sets, you can decorate your entire home with original black art-inspired gifts. Check us out at www.ergjblackbazaar.com, www.ergjblackbazaar.com. ERGJ Black Bazaar, the Afrocentric marketplace. We make group economics easy. The New Black Wall Street Book Club presents Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires by Shamari Wills. Let's read. Man, oh man, that is our appetizer for the day, guys. That's to get us warmed up for the meat of what we're going to be discussing here today uh, as we continue along into our journey into Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. And we're into chapter 16, and today's title is going to be The Battle for Hair Supremacy. Uh, now, I think we'll be discussing or catching up in our discussion on Annie Turnbull and Madam C.J. Walker. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I've been waiting to get back to this uh, because last I read, it was like somebody kind of took something from somebody and that's kind of how they got rich. But at any rate, we're going to pick this up uh, again. Back, Black Chapter 16, Black Fortunes, the battle for white, I'm sorry, battle for hair supremacy. Uh, and this is going to be back, uh, we're getting into a time in 1912. So everybody put that in the comments on 1912. This is still over 100 years ago, 107 years ago. 1912 is where we're catching up here in Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. New Black Wall Street Book Club, let's read. So on a sweltering, humid day in June of 1912, Annie Turnbull sat on a park bench in St. Louis wishing for a cool breeze. She was hot and tired. She spent the last year on a tour of 46 states, overseeing the hair salons and offices she had set up across the country, giving presentations and meeting with her for more than 3,000 employees. Her company was making nearly a million dollars a year, 8.1 million, and she sat underneath a shady tree exhausted. It hit her all 
at once. She was always working. There in the middle of in the middle of, in the in the park in Missouri, she was in the middle of pitching to a few dozen women who were interested in becoming sales agents for her company Poro. She told the women that her sales agents were the evangelists of Poro, and Poro women were examples of other black women who spread the gospel of personal appearance. When she finished, several women approached her to ask questions about possible employment. One woman was out of work after she had injured her leg in her furniture factory where she had been employed. Another woman had been taking care of her infant since niece since her, birth, her brother died and was looking for work she could do from home. A woman who was a principal at a local school was intrigued. She said she was looking for a new career. Annie signed several saleswomen that afternoon, expanding her army of poor row representatives. After she signed, finished signing them up, she closed her eyes, leaned back, and dabbed sweat from her face with her handkerchief. As she started to relax, she heard a voice behind her, nothing cools like lemonade. When she opened her eyes, she saw a man standing in front of her. Smiling and holding a glass of lemonade, he introduced himself as Aaron Malone. Aaron Malone was a traveling Bible salesman. He had big brown eyes, caramel-colored skin, and a short, straight hair. You picked a good time to start your company, he told Annie. She agreed. As the reconstruction era was replaced by Jim Crow and blacks were excluded from white shops and sections of town, a powerful black economy was emerging. Excluded from white institutions, blacks sought black-owned businesses and built all-black communities in which to spend their hard-earned dollars. It had been a whirlwind since the World's Fair, and it had opened Poro College, a training center for hairstylists, built a sales force of thousands, and franchised hundreds of beauty shops. She hardly had time to enjoy or even count her money as she was always on the road. Do you employ men? Aaron asked with a smile. No, but I believe many men help their wives who are poor old agents, he told him, still smiling. Aaron rubbed his chin as if he were thinking, well, he finally said, if I want a job, I guess I have to marry the boss. Annie was flattered, but too busy to date or be courted. Aaron was persistent. He began showing up at Annie's presentations to flirt with her. Soon they began dating and then became engaged. So here in part one, guys, uh, this is where Annie Turnbull uh, obviously eventually marries Aaron Malone and turns to Aaron, Annie Turnbull Malone. But what I find interesting here is, uh, is this exclusion for white institutions, as we know, happened. Uh, but because of that exclusion, uh, we really, as black people, really had no choice but to, right, build black, buy black, and, and, and exchange black. And because of that, all black communities were, bent, were built and a black economy was emerging. The difference is now it's got to be by choice versus being by force. And some people might say that uh, you know, integration was the worst thing that ever happened. But I don't necessarily say that that's the worst thing that ever happened. I say that us choosing not to buy black and not to build our own economy is the worst thing that happened. And it, it, it was, you know, kind of helped by, you know, integration. But there were some good things that happened for integration as well. Integration gave us access to things that we didn't have access to. But it didn't necessarily mean that we had to turn or change our mind as it relates for doing business with each other. That's a choice. That's why I continue to say that black wealth is a black choice. We can choose to get the access to things that we didn't have access to. A higher education, 
uh, new, uh, you know, I, I guess you could say new industries that were uh, where we were redlined from. And then we can then take those industries and still do what we had done if we chose to do it. So the good question is, was it really the worst thing that ever happened or was it really us choosing to stop what we were doing to build the black economy, which was actually emerging and I would dare I say thriving a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. Now this phenomenal woman, Annie Turnbull Malone, who we talk more about Madam C.J. Walker, have heard more about Madam C.J. Walker than we actually, well, I would say her mentor or the person that actually gave her a start, which is Annie Turnbull. Again, this is 1912. She's got a college. She's got a school, a hair school. She's teaching women how to get rich, right? Training center for hairstylists, right? A sales force of thousands. She franchised her business. Are you serious? A hundred years ago. And I'm just saying again, in whatever industry you might be in, if Annie Turbo could do that, now she had to sacrifice something, right? She had to sacrifice luxury. She had to sacrifice free time. She had to sacrifice, but, but, but ask herself, it, what does it really worth? It is, uh, is the sacrifice of some of that time really worth building a legacy and building something that'll last far beyond you? I mean, the school is in itself. Uh, the people that you train, another thing in and of itself, the thousands of salespeople that you actually help to get money, helping black black folk, black women particularly to get money in their hand a hundred years ago. That's called providing opportunity. And you and I have very similar, if I'm not the same, even not, if not more, opportunity and chance to do in 2019 what Annie Turnbull was doing over a hundred, over a hundred years ago. A quick word from our sponsor. Black Fortunes. The story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Chapter 16, the battle for hair supremacy, part two. Let's read. As, as Annie was finding love and enjoying being a millionaire, uh, Madam C.J. Walker's business was struggling and her marriage was on the rocks. The business was making little over $10,000 or $250,000 a year selling hair products through the mail and franchising beauty salons. The Walkers' share of profits was enough for them to purchase better clothes and housing and transportation, but nowhere close to Annie's near million dollar market share. After leaving Denver in 1906, Walker had set up shop in Pittsburgh for a few years before moving to Indianapolis, Indiana in 1910. Madam, who had fully expected to be neck and neck with Annie at that point, blamed much of the company's struggle on her husband, who seemed to be more interested in running a prestigious company than running a business. He often failed to fulfill orders, came up with products that nobody would buy, and mismanaged the company's money. He also drank too much and flirted openly with other women. Madam moved to minimize his role in the company by moving him from the manager's office to the road. Walker was a natural salesman. 
and sending him on the road to drum up business strength and sales and allow her to take the reins of management. It came with one risk. Spending nights alone could lead to his being unfaithful. It was a risk she had to take to keep him out of the day-to-day business. As she began to take over, uh, Madam made plans to restructure the entire company. She wanted to build a factory and mass produce her wonderful hair grower and other products instead of making them in small batches on the stove or outsourcing her production to another manufacturer. Shortly after they arrived in Indianapolis, the Walkers bought a home on the north side of the city in a middle-class black enclave of shop owners, grocers, and domestics. She purchased a two-story, three-bedroom brick home at 420 Northwest Street with a balcony on the second floor facing the street for $3,500 or $87,000 in today's terms. After purchasing the home, Madden renovated it by adding two additional bedrooms and bathrooms and placed it and added a local newspaper for boarders to supplement her income. Four congenial lady rumors, teachers preferred Modern House, 640 Northwest Street, it read. After moving in two borders and finishing the renovation, she threw a housewarming party. More than 100 guests attended, bringing gifts. The interior of the house was decorated with cut flowers and palm trees, and the walkers hired a hair harpist to provide background music for the gathering. After introducing herself to the neighbors and getting settled in Indianapolis, Madam began rebuilding her company. Among the attendees at the housewarming was George Knox, the publisher of The Freeman, the largest black newspaper in Indiana. He and Madam struck up a friendship. Knox was a loyal friend and enthusiastic booster of those he considered to be in his inner circle. Shortly after the two became friends, Knox became Madam's most enthusiastic advocate, printing articles about her in his newspaper and taking creative license to publicize her wealth and success. In 1912, Madam went on the road to raise $50,000 or $1.2 million in today's terms to build a factory. Staying in colored boarding houses in North Carolina, Virginia, New York, California, and Missouri, she visited black industrialists, lawyers, and doctors trying to get them to invest in her idea. She returned from her trip unsuccessful and decided to put up her house as collateral for a small loan to build a factory in a brick building down the street. As Madam was restructuring, Poro remained the dominant brand of black women's hair care products. Madam knew if she were to compete with Annie, it would not be with it would be not with superior hair products, but in the marketing and branding. Everybody putting it on so marketing and branding. So at this point, um, well, I, I really like that 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 uh, what Madam C.J. Walker was doing. Although I don't really like that they were competing, by the way, uh, because she was at Walker was Annie's understudy. Walker got her opportunity from Annie. Walker moved to Denver and then decided she was going to create her own brand and then now compete with the other black woman, which I don't really like. But hey, it is what it is. But the thing about Walker, she understood. So she said, well, hey, we got the same product for the most part. I stole my idea from her. We got the same product. Where I'm going to get my advantage is going to be in marketing and branding. What I also like is that Walker bought her a house and she was a landlord. She had renters and houses in order to pay for her house to supplement her income. Uh, she was willing to sell that house to get the money that she needed, right, for to, 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 to grow her business. We don't hear anything about getting a loan. We hear her being uh, creative in coming up or figuring out how to get the money so she can actually accomplish or finance her dream. 
we saw that she went out uh, to look for investors. She went all across the country trying to find people to invest in her idea. I think we might can learn something in 2019 and 2020 and beyond when it comes to this thing called raising capital. Raising capital. Let's keep going. At the time, Booker T. Washington was the most famous black person in America. He was a friend of the black industrialist Alonzo Herndon and the late Robert Reed Church. He was also the head of the Tuskegee Institute and the founder, along with Andrew Carnegie, of the National Negro Business League, a preeminent organization for African-American entrepreneurs. Madden believed that if she could win an endorsement from Washington, her brand would vault to the top. Winning an endorsement from Washington would not be easy. He despised black hair care and beauty products, believing that they encouraged the imitation of whiteness. I've come to view with alarm, hair straightening advertising. He once wrote to a black newspaper, imploring it not to carry black hair and make up ads. At the Tuskegee Institute, he banned makeup for the Indian and black students and students. In 1912, Madden wrote to Washington, asking for permission to sell her hair care products at the Agricultural Convention in Tuskegee. Washington rejected the idea, scolding her for wanting to sell hair care products to poor black farmers. I do not feel that a visit to our conference would offer the opportunity which you desire. He wrote back in a diplomatic book, Code Prose. Madam went there anyway. What's going on with the Sam Booster? Thanks so much for joining Miss Island Sweetheart. Thanks so much for joining over at Instagram as well. Miss I am Erica, I believe. Suzanne, thanks so much for joining as well over Instagram. So the week of the convention, she showed up on the porch of Washington House at the Tuskegee Institute. This was a woman who was on a mission. Hoping to get him to reconsider, the house sat on a half acre lawn across from the Institute. It was made of red brick and built in the Queen Anne style with two balconies and a porch that wrapped around the house. Madam knocked on the front door and asked to talk to Washington in person. Washington refused to speak with her and dispatched his assistant to deal with her instead. Madam delivered a letter via his assistant asking that he reconsider and let her speak at the convention. Later that day, perhaps won over by her persistence, he went sent word back to her that she could speak for 10 minutes but could do no selling. Everybody put in the comments of persistence. She spoke the first night of the convention about having risen from the sharecropping fields to start her uh, hair business. Few, including Washington, were impressed by, with her oration. According to legend, she did not give up. She went back to Washington's home a second day and she won him, won him over by demonstrating her products on her female friends and relatives shampooing and styling their hair. In the end, he allowed Walker to sell her products to attendees at the remainder of the convention. Perhaps he was warming to the idea of black beauty products. Before she left Tuskegee, Madam installed an agent in the region to continue selling her products. She selected Dora Laurie, a 30-something understudy of hers in Indianapolis. A few months after Dora was set up, Miss Walker began an affair with her. Mr. Walker began an affair with her. For several months, the two met in hotels in Alabama. Together, they conspired to pull the same trick that Madam had on Annie Malone. They decided they would knock off Manny's, Madam's products and start their own line together. Isn't this interesting? So the same thing that Annie did to, I mean, that Madam C.J. Walker did to Annie Malone, which was do a knockoff of the product that she had learned from Annie Malone, it's called karma. 
Somebody's looking to do that to her, which actually happens to be her husband and his uh, boo thing or his side chick. <laughs> Once they were off the ground, he would leave Madam and marry Dor. Shortly after, Dor stopped working for Madam and moved to Atlanta, Georgia to get started on the new venture. When Madam discovered their plans and their affairs, she was furious. Madam, was often who often carried a revolver in her purse for protection, contemplated killing Mr. Walker, but thought better of it. Instead, she cut off access to their, black, to their bank accounts and hired a lawyer to begin divorce proceedings. In 1912, Madam attended a conference of the Negro Business League in Chicago, a convention for black entrepreneurs. More than 200 African-American businessmen and women were expected to be in attendance. Along with Madam, the convention was attended by her fellow Hoosier, Hoosier, Indiana Hoosiers, her fellow Hoosier, George Knox. On Thursday morning, the first day of the convention, Booker T. Washington introduced Anthony Over Overton, the founder and owner of the Overton Hygienic Manufacturing Company. His company was the largest colored manufacturing enterprise in the United States, Washington noted. Overton was a titan. He had been born a slave in Louisiana in 1865. After emancipation, he and his family had moved to Topeka, Kansas. In 1881, Overton opened a grocery store. He used the profits from his store to put him through law school at Washburn College in Topeka. In 1892, he was elected a municipal judge in Topeka, becoming one of only a handful of black jurists in the country. In 1898, after he and his family saved $2,000 or $60,000 in today's terms, he moved to Kansas City. Missouri had opened the Overton Hygienic Manufacturing Company, an outfit that produced and sold baking powder. Later, he moved the company to Chicago and began selling cosmetics and toiletries as well. He started his company with less than $2,000, Washington Bragg, as he stood next to Overton. Overton was a fair-skinned black man with a toothbrush mustache, serious eyes, big ears, and hair parted in the center and shell shellacked straight. As he took the convention floor, he looked out into the audience where Madam was sitting and told his fellow entrepreneurs that his key to success had been focusing on black consumers. When we added our line of toilet, toilet articles, we placed colored girls' pictures on the our talcum powder, hair pomades, and other toilet articles. A smattering of applause and cheers came from the crowd. He continued telling them that his high brown face powder was his company's bestseller. On the top of each box was an empty circle where the model should have gone. The space, he said, was reserved for the most beautiful colored woman in the United States, which we propose to put on the box later as soon as we find her. Nods, applause, and laughter came from the audience. Washington opened up the floor for questions. George Knox stood, ostensibly to ask a question. When Washington called upon him, he redirected attention to his friend, Madam C.J. Walker. I rise to ask this convention for a few minutes, few minutes of this time to hear a remarkable woman, he began. She is the woman who gave $1,000 to the Young Men's Christian Association of Indianapolis. Madam Walker, the lady I refer to, is the manufacturer of hair goods and preparations. Washington let Knox finish before telling him that his intervention was off subject. He then called on the next questionnaire. Walker and Knox were crushed by Washington's response. They had been sure that the mention of Walker's donation would have carried favor with Washington. Instead, it seemed to have the opposite effect, appearing self-congratulatory and self-promotional. On Friday, the final day of the convention, Madam decided she would go. She would get Washington to listen to her one way or another. 
as Reverend E.M. Griggs, the head of the Farmers and Citizens Savings Bank of Palestine, Texas, was wrapping up his speech, Madam seized the floor. Surely you're not going to shut the door in my face, he said, staring at Washington, daring him to stop her from speaking. Hands turned in her direction as she locked eyes with Washington. I went into a business that is despised, that is criticized, and talked about by everybody. The business of growing hair, she began. She related her annual earnings, letting the crowd know that she was making $10,000 or about $250,000 a year. She listed the property she owned, including her own in Indiana. I built my own factory on my ground, 38 by 208 feet. I employed in that factory several people, including a bookkeeper, a stenographer, a cook, and a house girl. She continued, I own my own automobile. She concluded by revealing an aspiration to open a beauty school in Africa by the help of God and the cooperation of my people in this country. I'm going to build a Tuskegee Institute in Africa. Her attempt at impressing Washington with a demonstration of wealth and flattery hung in the air as she waited for him to respond. The next banker to address us is Mr. W. A. M. W. Hadnot of the Prudential Savings Bank of Birmingham, Alabama. Washington said, resuming the scheduled activities as if Walker's outburst had never occurred. Madam and Knox returned to Indianapolis defeated, but Knox tried to put a positive spin on the events, taking creative license, as he often did, to help his friend. He wrote that Madam had been one of the big hits of the conference. She at once impresses an audience with the fact that she stands for concrete achievements rather than brilliance of oratory. As far as anyone in Indiana knew, Madam had been received warmly by Booker T. Washington, but she would have to keep working if she wanted a genuine endorsement. Yeah, a phenomenal woman. I know that's right. A little over a week after the conference, Madam filed for divorce from Mr. Walker in Indianapolis. Uh, their marriage was not legal as Madam had never divorced her previous husband and she left Mr. Walker with little ground to stand on to pursue her assets. In October of 1912, their divorce, their divorce became final and Mr. Walker was left with nothing. Mr. Walker and Dora Laurie's new venture, the Walker Laurie Company, sputtered in marketing his pro hair products. They married in 1913 and Dora dubbed herself Madam C.J. Walker. Then she broke off her relationship with C.J. and pushed him out of their new venture. We were not married for long before I discovered that she did not love that she did not love me, but that she was only wanted that Madam title and the formula, he lamented. Divorced from the first Madam Walker and estranged from the second, CJ struggled to make ends meet. In 1914, he printed a public apology to the original Madam Walker, hoping that she would take him back. I let drink and this designing of evil women come between us, he wrote. Madam wrote him through her lawyers, suggesting that he relocate overseas and start his own hair company and, and including $35 or $900 in the letter. Madam does not understand why you don't go to Key West, Cuba, or some other place in which she has few agents, the lawyer wrote, counseling him to keep sober and build a big business. In her heart, Madam hoped he would be able to pull himself together one day. Instead, he continued to write her, asking her to reconcile or give him money or a job. Any chance that reconciliation died when he started selling the formula for wonderful hair grower to knock off companies. Nonetheless, he never stopped writing Madam to try to win her back. He was writing these lines with tears dripping from my eyes, he wrote in one of his many letters. This is interesting. So, Madam, the, I guess now we got two Madam C.J. Walkers. So, I guess I guess when they married back then, they took on the full name of the husband, and they just put Madam on the front, I guess. At any rate, 
So, so this woman, Madam C.J. Walker, the first Madam C.J. Walker, very persistent woman. Uh, obviously, again, a knockoff uh, that she took from Andy Turbo, and now she's trying to win the influence or the endorsement of influential people. She understands that she's going to have to get uh, what we would consider to be celebrities, right, to endorse her product so that her product become famous or world famous. So Annie Turnbull was taking one approach. Madam C.J. Walker is taking another approach and say, hey, man, I'm going to get into marketing and branding. And obviously, this will be the turn of advertisement and things like that as well. Uh, well, at, well, Annie Turnbull was just hiring sales agents and doing her thing. Uh, she went through divorce, uh, you know, and she went through someone trying to knock her stuff off the same way she knocked somebody else's stuff off as well. And I guess we'll continue to see uh, how this plays out, as, although we know more about at Madam C.J. Walker as we move forward. So this is uh, Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Battle for the hair supremacy part three. Let's keep reading. As Madam was moving on from her broken marriage to Mr. Walker, Annie Turnbull and, and Aaron Eugene Malone were preparing to get married in St. Louis. Aaron was a teacher and salesman with a modest income. By 1914, Annie, on the other hand, was worth between 1.5 million and 3 million, between 36.4 million and 72.8 million in today's terms. And the head of a business empire with more than 4,000 agents in 46 states, as well as Jamaica, Trinidad, Cuba, West Africa, and the Philippines. She lived in a mansion managed by two maids. Her home had 26 rooms, many of which she let out to boarders. It sat just above the site of the World's Fair at Forest Park on the west end of St. Louis. In the fall, Annie and Aaron were married in Annie's palatial home in front of them, in front of more than thousands of her friends, family members, and employees. She was spitting with Aaron. Shortly after they married, she put all her assets, including the house, in both their names and made him the chief executive officer of Poro. In 1916, the Malones broke ground on a new headquarters that would span nearly the entire two-acre city block of St. Louis and employ more than 200 people. The large four-story rectangular brick building would include a college with dozens of classrooms, meeting rooms, a dining hall, and a dormitory. It would also include a factory where poor old products would be made and a greenhouse where the herbs for the products and the vegetables and fruits for the dining hall would be grown. Wow. That's a lot going on there at that college. So this is a, I mean, Annie Malone, Annie Turnbull Malone, uh, pretty smart in herself. And she was doing an all-inclusive type of business. Uh, she's building a college, uh, all the classrooms, the meeting rooms. She's uh, got a factory uh, where she creates or builds her products. And she even included a, door, a, a greenhouse so they can grow their own herbs and they can grow their own food. For the dining hall. Say, that saves a lot of money, by the way. And not only does it save a lot of money, it also provides more opportunity to learn. So you can teach other people how to grow your own food and teach your own people how to grow your own herbs. I mean, I think that's just absolutely phenomenal. So Poro products from Annie Turnbull Malone, we're talking about two, we're talking about teacher 
and pupil, right? The teacher being Andy Turbo Malone, the pupil being Madam C.J. Walker, and the reality is that Andy Turbo was a millionaire as well. Now, I find this very interesting. We always hear that Madam C.J. Walker was the first millionaire. I think that's what we hear. But that simply isn't true. <laughs> Maybe she's the first well-known. Maybe she's the first, you know, well-received. But she wasn't the first. And that kind of breaks my heart because we realize that history has lied to us once again. But that was uh, chapter 16, part three. This is the new Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. Now, I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.theblackbillionairesclub.com, www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes to improve financial literacy within our community and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth. To build an institution that will teach the next generation about money and your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, says, well, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. We want you to remember this, that it takes a village and it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people. And thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, you know what time it is. Mr. DJ, hit the music. New, new, new black, new. It's the new Black Wall Street Book Club. With your host, Evan Jefferson. It's time for us to go. Now you ain't got to leave the computer. But we encourage you to get out there and learn and apply all the things you learn at the new Black Wall Street. Book club, book club. <laughs> yeah. New Black Wall Street.